Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part one of his teaching on healing for the brokenhearted. All right, this morning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach on something I've never, ever preached on before. And to be honest with you, I, I was a little intimidated about the subject matter. First of all, because it cuts across all different types of people, no matter what race, no matter what country, what nationality you are, this touches everyone. Amen? Uh, But you know, the Lord just kept prodding me for weeks and weeks and weeks, and He said, I want you to teach on this because there are people hurting, and they need to hear this word. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about healing for the brokenhearted. And to begin with, I want to say there are many causes for what people call a broken heart, and There aren't that many people that I know that haven't had their heart broken at least once or twice in this life. Amen. If you live and breathe on this planet that we call Earth, life will weigh you down. People will let you down. Circumstances will disappoint you. And you'll have an opportunity to have a wounded soul which can give way to a broken heart. Amen. But Jesus came to bring healing to the brokenhearted. Before we get too far into this, I want to define what I'm referring to when I talk about the human heart. And once we get that done, I'll feel a little more comfortable addressing the causes of a broken heart and sharing the good news that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. It was one of his prime directives when he began his earthly ministry. Some of you Trekkies will know what I mean when I say that. In Luke 4.18, in his home synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus stood up and he read from the scroll of Isaiah that prophesied about the coming Messiah. And he said, this day is this prophecy fulfilled in your ears. I am he. I am the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And among other things, he said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. Amen. Just knowing that brings comfort to me. He came. To heal the brokenhearted. Amen. So let's define the human heart for just a minute. I've always believed and I've always taught that the human heart is consists of two parts. The spirit and the soul. And the spirit and the soul together in combination make up what we call the human heart. It's the only way that I've found that many Bible verses make any sense. You know, some teachers teach that The spirit and the soul are essentially the same thing. But the Bible doesn't teach that. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul said, I pray God that he sanctify you wholly. That means completely. Spirit, soul, and body. Three different Greek words for each of those entities. Spirit, soul, and body. Real quick review. Your spirit is the part of you that was breathed into you by God. It's the part that's just like him. Ephesians 4.24 says, you have been created just like God, if you're born again, in true righteousness and holiness. We talked about this before. It's hard to get our arms around that there's something holy and righteous on the inside of us. But the challenge is to get that part that's on the inside of you to show up on the outside. Amen. It's got to affect your soul and it's got to affect your body. Amen. You are spirit 
soul, and body. So when I talk about someone has a broken heart, I'm not talking about the part of your heart that's perfect and holy like God. I'm not talking about your spirit. So process of elimination says I have to be talking about your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, your personality. That's the part that is subject to being wounded and subject to being broken. Amen. Glory to God. You know, getting back to this notion that the spirit and the soul form what I call the heart or what I believe the Bible calls the heart. I want to show you in Scripture why I believe that. This was the Scripture that the Lord gave me years ago that convinced me that this was the way to understand the human heart. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 in the King James Version. Amen. Peter called the spirit man the hidden man of the heart, which strongly implies that the spirit man is a component of your heart, but not the only component of your heart. Amen. So let's read. He starts talking about women's clothing and he uses it as a teaching moment to talk to us about our heart. Amen. Listen to this. First Peter three, verse three and four in the King James Version. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing gold or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Amen. So again, verse four reminds us that if you're born again, there is part of you that is perfect and holy just like God. And verse 4 gives us some of the characteristics of that hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart, Paul says, is not corruptible and is meek, which means teachable, and quiet and at peace. There's a person on the inside of you that's just like God. He's always in perfect peace. He never lets things rattle him or her. Amen? He's perfect and holy and righteous just like God. Amen. Glory to God. Then Ephesians 4.24, again, I want to remind you, says that you put on the new man, which after God is created in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. Glory to God. So, I took a long time to get there, but what Peter was saying was that we should be more concerned about putting on the hidden man of the heart than the clothes that we wear on the outside of our physical body. Amen. It's more important to put on the new man than to dress fancy. Amen. Nothing wrong with dressing nice. I like to dress nice. But it's more important, Paul says, to put the hidden man of the heart out there on the outside where people can see him. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Psalm 86.11, getting back to the concept of spirit and soul being distinct parts of your heart. Psalm 86.11 in the New King James Version is a perfect illustration of the concept. It says, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Now remember, now that we're in the New Covenant, Everything we read in the Old Covenant, we need to interpret in light of the New Covenant. Amen? So when I read heart in the Psalms, I'm thinking spirit and soul. And I'm thinking that the writer was prophesying to the day 
that the way to wholeness in your heart was to bring your spirit and your soul in harmony together. The greatest degree of wholeness that you can achieve is if you get your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, your personality to see what's inside your heart and to partake of that love, that joy, and that perfect peace. Amen? But it is easier said than done. Because emotions can be very powerful things. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So if you hear me using the term broken heart based on what I just taught you, you may also hear me talking about a wounded soul. So for the purposes of this message, let's treat those two things as synonymous terms, okay? Because the only part of your heart that can be broken is your soul. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's talk about the causes of a broken heart or a wounded soul. There are many things that can wound your soul and bring heartache and brokenness to your heart. And I came up with a list. We're not going to go through all of them today. This is a continuing series. But we're going to go through some of the ones that I consider to be at the top of things that can wound your soul and break your heart. Number one on my list is words have been spoken against you. Words have been spoken against you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that realize it, that love it, shall eat the fruit thereof. In other words, you will eat the fruit of your words, whether they're words of life or whether they're words of death. So we need to learn to speak words of life and avoid words of death. Amen. Unless it's death to something like cancer, then I'll speak death to that all day long in the name of Jesus. But you've got the power of life and death in your tongue. And words are very powerful. Amen. Maybe your dad told you when you were growing up that you'd never amount to anything in life. That you just didn't have what it takes to succeed in this life. Maybe someone else in authority told you these things. A teacher or a coach. And every time they spoke those things over you, it was like somebody took a knife and stabbed you in the heart. It pierced your soul. And over the course of time, if you heard a steady barrage of those negative comments coming your way, you began to believe them. And your heart was broken. If you're not careful, in that scenario, soon you'll become convinced that you're no good and you'll never amount to anything in life. And you'll find yourself in a perpetual cycle of sickness, disease, and depression. Amen. That slipped out by the Holy Ghost because, listen, if your soul is sick, it won't be long before your body is sick. They call it psychosomatic illness. Psycho is from the word psyche or your mind. Soma means body. So your mind convinces your body that you need to be sick. Anyway, all this was spurred by words that were spoken over you. And if you were naive and didn't know that you needed to stand against those words, you let them take root in your soul. 
and that's not a good thing. There used to be a little trite little saying that I learned when I was growing up, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt me. Nothing could be further from the truth. Words can be absolutely devastating to you. Words can set you up to feel inferior for the course of your life instead of realizing the conqueror that you are, the more than conqueror that you are. Amen? Words can be devastating. They can literally pierce your soul and cause great emotional pain. Amen. Not amen to that, but amen to the awareness of that. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a horrible tragedy to see words bring somebody down and set them up for failure in life. But it's all too common a story across every culture, across every nation. There are far too many hearts that are being broken because harsh words have been spoken over them all of their lives. Proverbs 12, 18 in the New King James Version says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. You study that out, it means many people routinely, rashly dish out words that cut people in their soul, and they don't care what it does to you. They don't realize the depth of the hurt and the pain and the suffering that it causes. But there are people that are wise and they use their tongue to speak words of joy, words of life. And when you do, the scripture says it promotes health in the people that you speak those words over. Glory to God. I love the way this verse reads. It's it's giving you the dichotomy. It's showing you which side you should choose. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Choose to speak words of life and joy and healing to people. It'll promote health in them, both emotional and physical. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. When a wise person encounters someone who's been cut deep by words, let me tell you, he can speak pleasant words to them, words of joy and words of peace. He can speak words that speed their healing, remove their scars, and promote physical and emotional healing in that person's life. Be that person. Don't be the person that's always cutting somebody down. You know, I grew up in a culture, and it's sad to say still like this, young men slip into the habit of cutting one another down as a way of, you know, yucking it up. You know, you're so fat, you know, or you're so skinny, you have to walk around in the shower to get wet. You know, y'all get that? (laughs) I don't know what it was. Even before I got born again, I was never comfortable participating in that kind of a culture where you, you, you derive joy and laughter out of cutting someone down. Laughter at their expense. I could never get into that. I was never like that. And I was an athlete. Uh, I was a wrestler. 
And there was a lot of that going on. But you would never hear that come out of my mouth. I always spoke words that would lift people up. Make them feel better about themselves. Not rag on them or point out physical flaws or uh, what do they call that? Body shaming. Heaven forbid that a Christian should ever do such a thing. Speak words of life. Speak words of health. Speak words of joy and peace. Amen. Hallelujah. Proverbs 17.22 is an awesome, awesome scripture. I want to read it to you first in the Passion Translation. It says, a joyful, cheerful heart brings healing to both body and soul. But the one whose heart is crushed struggles with sickness and depression. We've already gone there. We've already started to talk about that. Now, this is a bit of a side note, but the King James Version of this verse goes like this. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. This is an amazing prophetic scripture written over 3,000 years ago. Let me tell you why it's so amazing. It has been long established in the medical community that there is a direct link between women suffering from clinical depression and increased rates of osteoporosis in their bones. They've known that for several decades. A broken spirit is what we would call depression. And the drying or the brittleness of the bones is the essence of what the medical community calls osteoporosis. In other words, what goes on in your soul will eventually affect your body. Amen. So when you latch on to hurtful words or words that are contrary to the Word of God, when you allow them to penetrate your soul, you can open the door to emotional pain, depression, and ultimately, physical sickness and disease. Proverbs 16.24 in the King James Version says, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Amen. If you're struggling with osteoporosis or some other bone disease, don't wait for someone to speak words of life over you. Speak words of life over yourself and allow healing to flow into your very bones. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I believe I've made the point that words can be devastating and words are one of the main sources of wounded souls and broken hearts. Let's be a people that speak words of joy and life and peace over people, not hurtful words. Let's not be like that. We are Christians. We ought to know better. The number two item on my list is very closely related to harsh words. Words were spoken against you. You were rejected by your family or by your peers. Every human being has an innate desire to be accepted and loved by your family or by your peers, to be a part of a group or a team that's doing something great in this world. Isn't that right? Everybody has the desire to belong. It's the way that God made us. Listen, when He made Adam, it wasn't too much long after He made Adam that He looked down on the earth and He said, this is good and this is good and this is good. The man is alone and that is not good. It is not good that the man be alone. 
I'm going to make him a helper that's just right for him. I'm going to make Adam a family man. Amen. I want him to be a part of a group that's doing great things in this world. It's in our nature. It's in our DNA. We want to belong. Amen. Consequently, when you're rejected by your family or rejected by your peers, it can be devastating to your soul. It can wound you deeply, and trust me, it can break your heart. But I want you to know that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through, if that's your story, if that's your experience. Isaiah 53.3 in the King James Version. The 53rd chapter of Isaiah is what they call the redemptive chapter because it's all about the coming Messiah, and it's all about Jesus. So listen, when I read this verse to you, I want you to know this applies to Jesus. This is what happened to Jesus when he came to the earth. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That paints a pretty Devastating picture of Jesus being utterly rejected by the people he came to help. John 1.11 in the King James Version says, talking about Jesus, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. They rejected Him. It's even more powerful in the Passion Translation. He came to the very people He created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. Imagine that scenario. Jesus, God's agent of creation. He was walking the earth and knew that every man, woman, and child that he saw, that he met, that he interacted with, he personally created. Every tree, every blade of grass, every animal that he ever came into contact with was a direct result of his creative words. And yet he came to help his creation and they utterly rejected him. You don't think Jesus knows how you feel? He knows exactly how you feel. When you're down and out, when you feel rejected, when you feel like an outcast, he knows exactly what that feels like. In fact, he knows that kind of rejection to a level that you and I will never experience. So he knows how you feel. He knows how you feel. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 make this case. I'll start with the King James Version. For we have not a high priest, talking about Jesus, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. There is grace and mercy and help for you when hurtful words have wounded your soul and when people who should have accepted you rejected you instead. There is mercy. There is grace. There is help for you. All you got to do is go to God and say, I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling rejected. I need your grace in my life, Lord. I need your help. You know how I feel. 
I need your help. It's even more powerful in the message. Listen to this. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Amen. Isn't that awesome? He's ready to help. He's ready to extend mercy. He's ready to extend grace. And he's ready to do it because he was one of us. He's still one of us. And he knows how you feel. This is one that most people don't think about, but I'm a parent and now a grandparent, and I think about things like this. Your son or your daughter was rejected by their peers. Maybe your son, his dream was to make the varsity football team. And he worked out with weights and he trained real hard and he went out for the team and he got cut. He didn't make the team and he was devastated. Maybe your daughter was being bullied in her school. In either scenario, you looked into the eyes of your child and you saw the pain and you saw the broken heart. And it broke your heart. You took their pain. Only a father and a mother and a grandfather and grandmother know what that's like. I can't bear the thought of one of my daughters or sons-in-law experiencing pain in any form, in any way. It just it brings sorrow to my heart. It's the heart of a father. God is the same way. Again, I say, even in that scenario, Jesus knows how you feel. Read with me in Luke chapter 2, verse 34 and 35 in the New Living Translation. I'll give you a little background. There was a man by the name of Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. Evidently, he was a prophet. And the Lord had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And he was in the temple one day, and it just happened to be the day that Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And when Simeon saw the baby Jesus, he knew it was the coming Messiah. He knew that the Lord had fulfilled his promise. He held the baby in his arms, and he prophesied over Mary and Joseph. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. This is what he told Mary. Now remember, Mary watched Jesus grow up from a child through adolescence to adulthood to becoming a carpenter and helping his dad. And then one day he decided, at least it seemed like that to other people, that he was called to the ministry. <laughs> 
He knew all along he was called. He was just waiting for the right time. After 30 years, he knew it was time to step into his messianic role. And for three and a half years, Mary watched after he made that announcement, after he said there in his hometown in the synagogue in Nazareth, I am the one that the prophets have promised. I am your Messiah. Here I am. And then the mocking and the scorning and the derision and the rejection began. It began early on and it built up. For three and a half years, she saw saw her son rejected. She saw them call him the devil. She saw them totally not acknowledge that the power of God that was working mightily through him. She watched all that, which basically added up to utter rejection by his peers, by the Israelites. He came from the line of David, one of the most famous kings in all of Israel. He was a Jew of the tribe of Judah. They should have recognized him. They should have accepted him, but instead they rejected him. And his mother watched that for three and a half years, and it was utterly painful to her, so much so that it was like being pierced by a sword. And it culminated in the cruel scourging and the crucifixion of her son. Can you imagine a mother watching her son go through that? Can you imagine? It broke her heart. But Jesus was acutely aware of what she was going through. He saw the pain in his mother's eyes as she stood there by his side and watched him tortured and mocked, hanging there naked, bleeding on the cross. And ironically, this is so much my Jesus. Jesus was more concerned about what she was going through than what he was going through. John chapter 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, that's the Apostle John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Let me tell you what I think Jesus was conveying in those brief words that he said to his mother and to the Apostle John. This is what I believe he was conveying. Take care of my mama, John. She's seen things no mother should ever have to see. She's been through a lot. Again, he was more concerned about what she was going through than what he was going through. That's our Jesus, folks. He loves us that much. He loves us that much. Amen. He knew that in three days, her sorrow would be replaced by joy. Her broken heart would be healed when she saw him alive and well. He might have had a few scars, but he was alive and well, and the scars were there to remind the world of the price he paid for the world. Amen. Glory to God. But at that moment, as he hung on the cross, he saw the pain in her eyes, and he sought to bring comfort to her. 
in his darkest hour. Again, I say, that's the Jesus we serve. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Psalm 147, 2 and 3 in the New King James Version. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Amen. The reason I included verse 2 is because if you feel like an outcast, then your heart's been broken. You've been crushed. But listen what it says here. He is talking about, prophetically talking about Jesus. He heals the brokenhearted. You break that down in the Hebrew, and it means he puts together the pieces of their crushed heart. And he binds up or puts bandages on their wounds, their sorrows, and their hurts. Amen. This was prophetically fulfilled in Luke chapter 4, 18. When Jesus announced, as I said a couple times already, in his hometown synagogue, Nazareth, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That word means those that are emotionally shattered to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised. That word means crushed in their souls. Amen. Psalm 34, 18 in the Passion Translation. The Lord is close to all whose hearts are crushed by pain, and He's always ready to restore the repentant one. I wanted to finish with this verse here because it makes a very vital point. The fact that you've been crushed or emotionally shattered or that your heart's been broken does not give you the right to hold a grudge or hate the people that you think were responsible. So with his empathy for your being crushed, there is also this signal from the Lord. I know you've been crushed, but you're going to have to release these people. You're going to have to let this go. You can't hold on to this because it's damaging your soul. You just got to come clean with the Lord. You might as well. He knows how you feel anyway. You're not hiding anything from him. Listen, <laughs> holding a grudge and bitterness against someone else. I like this. Someone said this, and I think it's very true. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You're only hurting yourself. You got to release it. You got to let it go. Listen, if we have the power to bind and loose, and Matthew 16, 19 and Matthew 18, 19 say that we do. You know, in Matthew 16, Jesus said to Peter, I give you guys the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth must be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth must be loosed in heaven. If we have the power to loose, if we have that authority, then surely we can use that authority to loose the pain from our soul and release the people that we believe are responsible for that pain. Can we not? It simply has to be done if you're serious about asking the Lord to heal your broken heart, to heal your wounded soul.
It has to be done. Glory to God. Let me conclude by saying that Jesus came to pay the price to bring us a complete salvation. Spirit, soul, and body. He didn't leave anything out. I want to read Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 again from that redemptive chapter in Isaiah. And I want to point some things out to you and then we'll close. Surely he hath borne our griefs. That Hebrew word there is sicknesses. And carried our sorrows. That word there in the Hebrew is pains. Both physical and emotional. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That's crossing the line with God. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's your wicked deeds and your sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Your peace of mind was paid for by Jesus. And with his stripes, we are healed. That is physically and emotionally. He came to bring us forgiveness of sins, healing to our souls, and healing to our bodies. Amen. A complete work. And thank God he did. So many times we, word of faith preachers, we we talk about Jesus saves and Jesus heals. And we forget to mention that he not only heals physically, he's there to heal your broken heart. He's there to bind up your wounded soul. He cares about the way you feel. Amen. Glory to God. All right, so next week, we'll continue our series on healing for the brokenhearted, and we'll talk about some other scenarios that bring harm and hurt to your soul and can potentially break your heart. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Forrest's teaching on healing for the brokenhearted. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, 10.30 for worship and service, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for spirit-filled prayer. If you would like to learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.